good to be back with you uh, this morning. We're back in the book of Jonah. Am I on? Not on? Oh, I'm on, okay. Sam's laughing at me from the, the balcony, so I'm, I thought maybe I wasn't on. Um, I, you know, uh, Jake brought up uh, Rockbridge. Uh, Majnik will be there, and then your, uh, your men's retreat will be there as well. And uh, Majnik fits in really well, actually, with our, our sermon today, because there's a pond at Majnik, and that pond produced the greatest fishtail I've ever heard in my life. Uh, so I used to uh, help with uh, Young Life's ministry called Capernaum, which is a ministry to those with special needs, and uh, we would go to camp every year at Capernaum. And um, there was a time after dinner, a couple of those evenings, where you had this thing called Sweet Skills. They weren't sweet skills. They were just a, something fun for the kids to do while leaders went and learned about the next, like that evening at camp and what they needed to know in case they had a student who was, you know, really sensitive to loud noises or whatever might have been happening. They needed to have the down low. And so the buddies, those of us that were with our friends from Capernaum every day, all day, would take them to sweet skills. And it'd be like, hey, we're going to go shoot basketball or um, they, they would do uh, painting of the horses or you go get your nails done if you were a lady, or one of them, though, was you could go fishing. And um, the pond there at Rockbridge has lots of fish in it, but at uh, one of the years I was there, a student, in talking about his time fishing, not at that camp trip, but the previous year, let us know that his buddy caught a 50-pound catfish out of the Rockbridge pond. And that's the thing with fishtails, is the longer that they get told, the bigger and bigger the fish get. And, um, you know, for many of you, this, this uh, morning's passage in Jonah uh, is, the, is the highlight of Jonah. You've been waiting for this passage because we're finally going to get to talk about the big fish. Uh, lucky for us, it doesn't have to be, uh, we don't have to wonder any longer how big the fish is or, or what maybe the sailors' reaction was when they saw Jonah get swallowed by this fish because I found a video uh, that gives to us just a, a glimpse of the sailors' reaction to this fish uh, that they saw. That's my bad. Windier today. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an auto worm it's bite. It's an auto worm bite, turns out. It's a out. giant. Oh, giant. It's a giant, so. It's a giant! 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 just a glimpse of what their reaction was as this fish comes out of nowhere to swallow Jonah. You know, and and, and we we read the book of Jonah or we hear about Jonah and we automatically think about this big fish. But what we're going to see this morning is that it's not about the fish. Not just this morning, but, but throughout all of the book of Jonah, it's not about the fish. It's about God. And so as we turn to his word this morning, let's keep that in mind. Would you pray with me before we read together? Heavenly Father, we come this morning and ask for your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your word. And would you use it to strengthen us and encourage us and equip us to walk by faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So beginning in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through Jonah chapter 2, he says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, 
I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. It's not about the fish. It's not about the fish. The main character here is not the fish. It's not Jonah. It's not Nineveh, but it's the Lord. Our passage this morning is bookended by his actions. Jonah 1.17, it's the Lord who appointed and Jonah 2.10, it's the Lord who spoke. And so with that in mind, we're going to see and look at three things this morning. First, the Lord's provision for Jonah. Second, Jonah's prayer. And then the Lord's commitment. It's the Lord's provision. We see in verse uh, 17 of chapter 1 that the, the Lord appointed this great fish, right? I mean, these sailors throw Jonah overboard. They're, they're somewhere in the Mediterranean, and he's thrown overboard, and, and it's a death sentence. And he thinks it's a death sentence. You know, he, he could have willingly jumped overboard knowing he was the reason the storm was upon them. And just like he hasn't prayed yet in this uh, story, he, he didn't do that. He was a punk. He made them throw him over. Because he thought he was going to die. You know, when shore's not nearby and there's not going to be another boat, and you don't have a life jacket, I don't care how strong of a swimmer you are, sooner or later your body will give in. And so he's there thinking this is the end. God has caught up to me. He's pursued me. He's condemned me. And now I will die. And, and we think the same way. In our fleeing, in our rebellion, when, when the hard things come in life, we begin to think this is the judgment of God. He's finally found me. My, my fleeing has not worked. My hiding has, has not worked. And he's found me. And, and now he's going to condemn me. And he's going to judge me. And this is the end of it. But him being thrown overboard is the beginning, not of God's judgment, but of God's mercy. It's, it's the beginning of God's mercy. The Lord's rescuing of Jonah, his saving of Jonah, isn't just some truth that we read about in the past. It's, it's, it's his saving of us. It's not just some golden ticket to get us in the chocolate factory of heaven in the future. It's for now. It, it's in the midst of our struggle and our, our suffering and our pain and our guilt and our shame that he comes to rescue us from this moment. Not just 2,000 years ago and not just some point in the future, but from today. And some of you are here this morning and you are in, as Jonah puts it, Sheol. And the Lord has come to rescue you. His salvation is for us. It's for our here and now. We think that his pursuing of us is to judge and condemn, to seek retribution from us. But his pursuing of us is that we might know his love. 
His mercy, His grace, His commitment to us. And sometimes the means He uses to rescue us, sometimes the means He uses to to bring salvation to us do not look like the means we expect them to look like, right? The, the, The Word of God tells us that the gospel is folly to the world. It's not always going to be pixie dust and unicorn farts that save us. Sometimes it's going to be hard things. We're going to have to hit rock bottom at times to finally turn. And he allows that. In fact, at times he brings that. Our strife, our struggles, they're not for judgment. but They're instruments to redeem. That hard thing in your life this week or this month or this year, it's not because God desires for you to be miserable. It's not not because he desires desires you to be miserable. It's because he wants you to truly live. And that's only found in relationship with him. It's only found in him. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for Jonah. God says, come home. Wake up. Jonah proclaims salvation belongs to you. But it takes him a while, right? How how long does, does Jonah sit in that misery? You know, he's thrown overboard. We're not sure how long he treads water before the fish comes along. We know he thinks he's probably going to die. He gets swallowed by a fish, and he he probably thinks, wow, God, thanks for kicking me while I'm down. Because if I had to choose between dying in the belly of a fish or drowning, I'm choosing drowning. You know, stomach acid eating at you is not sound fun. And the fact that that as, as the sores come along and that salt water continues to rush in from the mouth of the fish and just burn and remind you. And he sits in it. And he waits. You know, how long does it take him before he seeks God? You know, when you first read Jonah, you think, okay, he gets swallowed and then he, pray- he prays. But if you read a little bit slower and pay attention, it says that he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed. Being swallowed by the fish wasn't enough to wake him up. He had to sit in it a little bit longer before he finally turned to God and prayed. I mean, the sailors had tried to get him to pray as far back as, as verse 6 of chapter 1, and he hadn't done it. I mean, last week I said they had shamed him because they were willing to pray. They were willing to do the things necessary to seek the will of God, but the one who knew the true and living God wasn't. And he still isn't until... Three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. What's going on in his mind for three days and three nights as he suffers? Well, first, he probably, probably has resigned himself to dying at some point in this saga. But as that doesn't happen quickly, he probably moves on to anger, right? I mean, the, the longer we sit in our misery, the longer we sit in our guilt and our shame and our suffering, we begin to get angry. We get angry at God and we begin to say things like, how could you? How could you let this happen? How could you do this to me? How how could you bring another thing on me? You're kicking me while I'm down. We move on and we get get angry with ourselves, right? If only I had. For for Jonah, if only I had just gone to Nineveh, I wouldn't be in the belly of this fish. I might have died quick and easy there at least. And then there's the resignation of it is what it is. And it's in that moment for Jonah that he gets to the end of himself and he seeks God. 
Some of you this morning, you are running and fleeing for a myriad of reasons. And then there's a, a whisper that's saying to you to stop and cry out to God. And there's a louder voice of your shame and your guilt saying you're too far gone. Don't do it. He's, he's just going to judge you and condemn you. Don't do it. And it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because in verse 2, when, when Jonah gets to the end of himself, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he what? He answers me. Jonah, the one who last week I said was a joke of a prophet, who, who in rebellion ran the opposite direction from what he was called to do. The, the, the one who, when pressed by these Phoenician sailors and pagans to, to recognize and turn to God, doesn't do it. The one who is set three days and, and, and three nights in the belly of the whale or the fish before he finally gets there and calls out to God. He calls out to God and God answers. Jonah prays and God answers. How long must you wallow in your misery, your doubt, your strife, your suffering? How long must you flee before you will cry out? To the God who hears and to the God who answers. God provides salvation. And Jonah recognizes it. Jonah recognizes that this is is from God. And he acknowledges God's hand in all of it. Do you see God's hand at work in your life? Do you see him drawing you back to himself? In the hard places. Do you see him whispering to you the glories and the joys of the salvation that he alone provides. And it is his provision. Jonah doesn't play any part in this. Right? When he's thrown overboard, he's not thinking, there's going to be a big fish that swims by, and it's going to swallow me. He's not thinking that. And when he sees the big fish, if he does see it before it swallows him, he's not thinking, okay, how do I need to make myself look like really good fish bait? You know, he doesn't start doing the, like, you know, white guy at a wedding dance, you know, where the, you know, one of them throws, and he's like, oh, oh, oh. He's, he doesn't do that. It's all from the Lord. The Lord appointed this fish to swallow him. It's his provision of rescuing Jonah, of bringing him home. Second, Jonah's prayer in verses 2 through 9. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. Most uh, commentators or scholars think that it's probably a hymn of thanksgiving or a psalm, or at least parts of it were that were already in existence that Jonah had memorized, probably as a child. If you've grown up in the church, many of you probably have memorized a hymn or the doxology or whatever it might be. And and, and in moments of real strife, it might come back to you to sing it. And some commentators say, that's what happened here. That Jonah finally got to the end and the the thing that came to memory was this hymn of thanksgiving. And it is. It's beautiful. It it acknowledges the work of God in all of this. Verses 3 to 6. It's you, O Lord, who cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods that surround me. All your waves and your billows pass over me. This is all your hand. This is all your creation. You're the one at work in these things, O Lord. I'm driven from your sight, and yet I shall look again upon your temple. The waters have closed in over me to take my life. The deep has surrounded me. The weeds wrapped around my head, the roots of the mountain. I went down, yet you brought up my life from the pit. These are beautiful words, acknowledging God's hand in all of it. It's not the sailors who tossed him overboard. It was God. It was God at work. They were his instruments to bring about this. Eight, he acknowledges the worthlessness of idols. 
Chapter 8 says, those who, who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It's out of left field. Who's he talking about? Well, the only people that, that we've encountered so far that have been praying to vain idols are the sailors. So maybe he's remembering their vain idols. And then he rightly realizes that, that salvation is from God and God alone. He says, but, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's a words from Psalm chapter 3 where it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Salvation can't come from anywhere else. Right? We saw that last week with the sailors. They had prayed to their vain idols. Nothing had happened. When Jonah tells them that it's the evil that, that is upon them is because of him, they have to throw him overboard. Instead of listening to Jonah and throwing him overboard, they try what? They try to row harder. We do it. We, we, we look at vain idols to provide fulfillment. We, we, we try harder when, when things are going to, to, to make things right. But salvation comes from God alone. And Jonah acknowledges that. It's this beautiful prayer, but what's missing? What's missing in Jonah's prayer? Repentance. It's full of truths about God's sovereign hand, yes, but where's the contrite heart? It's not there. It's loaded with self-righteousness. Verse 8, that he throws out these vain idols. He's, he's deflecting from his own sin to those who would turn to idols. He's glossing over his sin to, to, to amplify theirs. We love to stand on the shoulders of others to make ourselves look taller. We love to amplify their sins so we don't have to deal with our sins. Jonah's doing that. And when we do that, it gives a false sense of security and a false sense of superiority. In our self-righteousness, we forget the grace we received isn't something we earned or deserved. It's not something we earned or deserved. It's not because we're better than those stinking Ninevites. It's because of the love of God. So it's loaded with self-righteousness and there's no admission of guilt. There's no confession of his sinful heart. So while Jonah is singing the praises of God's hand in his salvation, singing the praises of God's hand in his rescuing, he isn't even confessing the sin that got him here in the first place. God, you're rescuing me. Praise be to God. It's your hand that brings me up from the pits. But never does he say to the Lord anything about his sin. Never does he say to the Lord anything confessing his hard-heartedness, his rebellion. He reveals his heart. He reveals his need for repentance. In doing so, he reveals ours. But this is a whole book about God's pursuit of sinners and rebels like Jonah, like me and like you. And his repentance is incomplete and lacking because he's more worried with relief. He's more worried with relief than he is with a change in his heart. He's more worried with comfort than he is transformation. If all we want is a change in circumstance, we will reject God's pursuing grace. We will ignore his call because his call is going to be something uncomfortable. It's not going to be the, 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 the happy place we hope it is. It's going to be into the thick of it. 
If all we want is a change in circumstances, we will reject his pursuing grace. As long as our cries for relief are greater than our cries for a changed heart, we will not grow. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that upon us. It's the Holy Spirit that that, that works that in us. That brings to our eyes, but we still have to walk in what he's laid out before us. And if our call is just and cries are just for relief, we'll never change. Lastly, this passage shows us how committed God is to Jonah, to Nineveh, to the nations. In verse 10, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know, he, he's, this language of vomited out, the Old Testament language we, we get in, in verse 117, that the fish swallowed him. And then here at the end of chapter 2, we get it's vomited him. That, that language of swallowing and spitting out, that language of, of, of swallowing and vomiting is the Old Testament language of judgment. We see it in the New Testament as well in the book of Revelation, right? They will spit us out. So it, it, it tells us, the bookends of this passage tells us that God has not been, been just overlooking and turning a blind eye to Jonah's rebellion, but he has been dealing with Jonah in discipline. In judgment. It seems maybe that as God hears his prayer, he decides, okay, let's, let's see. You, you've talked the talk, Jonah, right? Jonah ends his prayer with, what, I, I, I'll keep the vows I made. That's a really easy thing to pray when you think you're going to die. I'll keep all my promises to you, God, because I'm about to die. It don't matter anymore. I mean, think, think of all the times when you were in middle school or high school or whatever it might have been, and you pray, God, if you would just give me this, I'll fill in the blank. All through college at Virginia Tech, um, I, was, I'm a, I'm a, I was a below average high school athlete, and that's putting it kindly. Um, and I had this dream that I was going to play football at Virginia Tech. They didn't recruit me. Imagine that. Um, but but I, I would I'd try out every year. I'd, I'd go to walk-on tryouts every year. And I would pray, Lord, just let me, just let me make, make it past the first day of cuts. Just let me make it past the first day of cuts, and I'll fill in the blank. He did not hold me to that because I never made it past the first day of cuts. But we pray things like that, and, that, and that's Jonah's prayer. I, I, I will keep my vows. But he, he does it knowing in his mind he's going to die. And God says, not yet, Jonah. Let, let, let's see if, if you'll walk the walk now that you've talked the talk. Let, let's see if those words were empty or if, if my pursuit of you has finally broken through to your heart. Let's see what's happened. You know, the story of, of Jonah, of God's pursuit, is one that we, we see in, again and again God's commitment to him and to Nineveh, to the sailors, to us and his relentless grace and we need that relentless grace. We need that pursuit. And the story of Jonah doesn't end, though, in two chapters. The story of Jonah gets carried forward. Gets carried forward to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 12, these scribes and these Pharisees are saying, saying to Jesus, give us a sign, give us a sign. And Jesus says to them, to this wicked generation, you will not get a sign. Except for the sign of Jonah. Except for the sign of Jonah. That the Son of Man will, will, will 
go into the earth, the depths of the earth for three days, and then be raised again. That's the, the relentless grace. Jesus found himself in distress just like Jonah. Not because of his disobedience, but because of ours. And his obedience to the will of his father. He is the great prophet who has come to declare the love of God to us. And he does it in his life and his death. And he spends three days in the earth. And he comes and is resurrected He's not just spit out on the shore, but in, in that he has overcome death itself. He has defeated sin. You see, instead of running from the enemies of God like Jonah, he ran to us. He ran to those who would kill him, not from them. And he does it, as Hebrews says, with joy. The joy that is set before him. That joy set before him is that he will be with us. that his life and death and resurrection reconcile us to God. God is committed to us not because of some beautiful prayers, not because of the missionary work we might do, not because of our faith that's so strong, but because of who we're united to in Christ, the greater Jonah. Do you see God's pursuit in your life? Do you see God's grace in your life? In those hard places that you think he's judging you, do you see his hand and his mercy that he's beckoning you to come home? He, he's, he's hoping for you to cry out that he might answer. Cry out this morning that you might truly live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we rejoice. We rejoice at the greater Jonah. Are the one whose life and death reconciles us to you through his shed blood. It's our sacrifice. Atoning for our sins. Taking upon him our guilt and shame. Or may we be encouraged by your word so we can see your relentless pursuit of Jonah. And we look in the mirror and see your relentless pursuit of us. We pray this all in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So the ushers come forward now to take the, the tithes and, and